Amen. All right, this morning, I'm going to be sharing with you from my heart about what is a Christian. And I know many of you in here have probably been a Christian longer than I have been. But we're going to get the information straight out of the Word of God. What is a Christian? You know, it's like our family. We have parents that tell us, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're not supposed to do. A family, your parents tell you that, mind your manners, mind your P's and Q's, be on your best behavior. I don't know, what does that mean, somebody who laughed back there? We did Google it once, and I don't even remember. It, it, there is a literal meaning to mind your P's and Q's. And the family of God is the same. God tells us in the Word of God how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to interact with people out in the world that are not Christians. And it doesn't mean that we live a squeaky clean life. It doesn't mean that we're the perfect person and that we never mess up. Because I'd be the first person to raise my hand if you asked us, has anybody ever messed up in their Christianity? It's not about that at all. It is not even about trying to be somebody that we're not, which I think too many Christians do. We have this inward struggle where we know what the Word of God says and we know what we should do, but we don't do it. Well, I'm going to make it simple for you. Being a Christian is more about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. It doesn't mean that we have to memorize everything that the Word of God says. It doesn't mean that we have to constantly tell ourselves, okay, what is love again? It's patient. It's kind. Oh my gosh, I forgot. What does it say after that? I have to live those characteristics out. No, it's simply do what you would want others to do to you. Do it to them. Amen. Let's look at 1 John 4, verse 16. You know, when Pastor Kenny and I instruct our children, especially now as our teenagers, sometimes they don't understand why we tell them the things we tell them. They don't know why they have to do things a certain way. But when you've been through life and you've been through seasons of life, you can kind of see a bigger picture than your child sees. You kind of know, oh, you're going down a road that's going to lead you here. And God's the same way. That's why he's given us the word of God. And we don't always understand why God wants us to do things a certain way. Why do I have to love that person, Lord, when everything within me is just so upset? Why do I have to be patient, Lord, when they've done it again and again and again? But you know what? When we do it God's way, he knows what's ahead. We don't know. So when we do it his way, he's going to take care of our future. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. It says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So if God is love and we're children of God, we are full of love. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. I took the liberty to take this verse and I kind of put it in two categories. The first category is what love is, and the second category is what love is not. Or you can say what we are. This is what we are full of. We are patient, we're kind, we never give up, we never lose faith, we're always hopeful, we're enduring through every circumstance. That's what we are. This is what we're not. Are you ready? Remember, Pastor Nija falls short as well. 
So I'm not sitting here condemning you if you've done these things because, again, I'd be the first person to raise my hand and say, to say, I've done all of this as well. But when you mess up, all you simply need to do, Christian, is tell that other person, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, I know better than to do that. And then you pick up and you start treating others the way you would want them to be treated, okay? This is what we're not. We're not jealous. We're not boastful. We're not proud or rude. We don't demand our own way. We're not irritable. We don't keep record of wrongs, and we don't rejoice about injustices. That's what we're not. And I'm going to give you guys some examples. These examples, I want you to keep in mind, treat others as you would want them to treat you. Now, maybe you've had a bad day, and you got home, and you just started yelling at everybody. The kids, the dog, the cat. You start slamming doors. Everybody's wrong. Everything's bad. I see a bunch of smiles in the face. Y'all know where I'm going with this. And then the other, the other person, the wounded party, wouldn't it be so nice and refreshing if they were just patient with you and they said, you know what? Can I do something to help you? Because maybe they, not, may, they may not have known that you didn't get enough sleep that night. Maybe you didn't eat lunch. Maybe you got a bad report at work. So you just lashed out when you came home. Wouldn't it be so refreshing if they were just loving towards you and maybe said, hey, can I get you something to drink? I mean, wouldn't that be so nice? That's what love does. Here's another example. What if you told somebody, you know what? I'm not going to do this again. I promise. I'm stopping this whatever it is. And you messed up and you did it again. And you did it again. Wouldn't love think the best of you still and be patient with you and be hopeful with you and endure through every circumstance with you and not leave you and not give up on you? Wouldn't that be? I mean, I'd want somebody to do that to me. I can't tell you how many times I've messed up and told Pastor Kenny, okay, I know you've told me a hundred times. I got it this time. And then I fall short again. A lot of you heard him say this example. I know you love, honey, a knife, spoon, and fork at every single place setting. <laughs> He's used this example many times in church, so if you have not heard it before, he does. But still to this day, I have problems putting a knife, spoon, and fork at every single place setting. Because it's not just the two of us, there's eight of us that eat almost every meal together. So wouldn't it be nice if the other party was just patient with you and said, you know, I'm going to go through this with you. We're going to get through it together. Or what about this? Something wonderful happened to you. You're getting married. You're having a baby. You got accepted to that college. You have great news. I just got a new house. I got a promotion. And everybody you tell, you want them to rejoice with you and to be happy with you because what love is not prideful. It's not rude. That other person's not going to get jealous and upset because you got the promotion and they didn't. The other person isn't going to think, well, how come they got a new house? I've been looking for one for five years. They're going to rejoice with you. That's who we are as a Christian. We are full of love. And we want to treat others the way we want to be treated. Amen. Let's look at Romans 6. Christians are also full of the Spirit of God, the fruits of the Spirit. 
We are full of the fruits of the Spirit. And most of us who've been in children's church know the fruits of the Spirit. But before we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, I want us to read a few scriptures. Romans 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. The power of sin that we were born with has been broken from our lives. And what has replaced sin? The Spirit of God in our lives. That's what we're full of. The Spirit of God. That's the power, as Pastor Kenny opened up and what we've been singing about this morning. That's what lives within us. Just like our DNA exhibits the traits of our natural body, our DNA, we're full of it. That's what we are made of. Just like a Christian is full of the Spirit of God. So people out there should see those traits come out of us. Amen. Let's keep reading a few more scriptures about the Spirit of God. Romans 3. Verse 23 through, 36, or 23 through 26. Now this says it perfectly. Amen? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Did you catch that? Everyone. So we should never point a finger at every, anybody. Because everyone has fallen short. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. It's nothing that we did. It's nothing that we didn't do. It's freely given to us. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So the moment that you believe in Jesus is the moment that old nature is filled with the Spirit of God at that moment. That's when it happened. It's not that you earned it. It's not all the good things that you've tallied up and said, okay, now I'm a perfect Christian. Nope. Just like when we were born naturally, we were a Linhart. Well, not me, but the children. When we're born of God, that's when the Spirit of God entered into our life. Amen. Let's look at Matthew 9, verse 17. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and run, ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. This is in reference to the Spirit of God. We're made new on the inside, in other words. The old is gone, the new is here. We're going to read three more scriptures about being filled with the Spirit of God. That way you cannot leave here doubting that you are filled with the Spirit of God. And I don't ever, I don't want you to ever think, I'm not able to do this. I'm, I'm not qualified. I don't, I'm not strong enough to do this. So this morning, I'm reminding you by telling you, yes, you are, because who lives on the inside of you? The Spirit of God. As Pastor Kenny said, that's the power that gives us to be a Christian. 
That's the power within us to allow us to love. Amen? Let's look at Acts 2.4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They were filled with the Spirit. Acts 2.17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. One more verse, Isaiah 44, 3, and I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your children. The spirit of God is what gives us the strength to live out Galatians 5, verse 22, the fruits of the spirit. This, we cannot do it on our own. It's impossible. It is humanly impossible without the power of God to live fully in love and the fruits of the Spirit. And I will pour out my Spirit. Is that Galatians 5? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. We are love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against any such things there's no law those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other we're the ones that come into a situation and bring kindness we're the ones that bring hope we're the ones that bring the peace. We don't allow the circumstances and the confusion in the world to change us, Christian. We're supposed to go into that situation and change that situation because the power of God that lives within us is so much greater than any other power out there in the world. You know, one of the reasons why the world is in the state that it is is because I believe that we're not being who we are. I think too many Christians think, you know, if I let them live the life they want to live, even though I don't agree with it, that's showing love and acceptance. You know, if I let somebody walk all over me and let, the, let them have their way, that's being humble. No, it is not. A Christian is supposed to speak out. A Christian is supposed to be the voice of what's right and what's wrong. Our world will be a better place when Christians are not so silent. Let's look at Romans. There's 20 characteristics of a Christian found in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. These characteristics, are should, they should be the characteristics we demonstrate. Now, you know, even though our kids are grown, when they leave the house, we still tell them, be on your best behavior. And I think it would behoove the church to hear the same words for us Christians to be on our best behavior when we're out in the world. Amen? These are 20 characteristic traits that we should be demonstrating. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And I want you to notice that's the plural form, gifts and things. So that might mean you might be demonstrating several of these gifts. For some reason, I was taught 
but you're only gifted with one gift. That's not true. You can have more than one of these gifts operate in your life. Let's continue. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out, Christian. Notice the, the words in red and in capitalization. Those are the words that I want them engraved in your heart this morning. Speak out with as much fruit as God has given you. If your gift is serving, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. I'm going to put this in here, Christian. I don't know why, but sometimes Christians have the mentality of somebody else can do it. I'm not going to be the one to speak out. I'm not going to be the one to serve. Well, let me just remind you lovingly that God gave you the power that dwells on the inside of you to be the one to speak out, to be the one to serve. Amen? If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. Isn't that refreshing to have people surrounding you that are encouraging? Deacon and I were on a walk the other night, and he asked me, oh, how did you word that question, honey? What, like, what don't you like about people? Or something like that. Mom, what don't you like about people? I know it wasn't those exact words. But my reply to him, which I remember, is, Deacon, I don't like being surrounded by people that are always complaining. Do you remember that talk we had? Be encouraging. People want people surrounding them that are encouraging. And we should be that person. Oh, hallelujah. If it's giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Hallelujah. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what's good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Do you, would you guys agree that we are lacking some of this in the body of Christ? Wow, that was a resounding yes. How much more do you think the world is in desperate need for us to let them see this in our lives? Hallelujah. I'm excited because I know you guys are going to be the changers out there. I see people of all different ages in here. You guys are going to change this city and this world. And I've heard people say, well, I don't want to have children because I don't want to bring them up in this evil world. Or they share with me their heart about how fearful they are that they're, they're sending their children out in this evil world. Well, you know, I've spent lots of time with some amazing youth, and I have absolutely nothing to fear because I know our world is going to be in some amazing hands of some God-fearing, Bible-shaking, Holy Ghost-filled youth that are going to be a voice, that are going to encourage, that are going to love because they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and they know who they are. So I don't see gloom and doom in our future like so many Christians do. These are Christians who talk to me like this. I don't see it, and I refuse to see it because I know the type of youth that we're raising up with these qualities, with these characteristic traits. And I encourage you as well to be a light and an example to those around you. Amen. Let's continue reading. 
Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Again, Christian, please don't think somebody else can do it. My plate's too full. I'm too busy today. Please get that stinking thinking out of your head because that comes straight from the pit of hell. Not once did God ever say, I understand you're too busy today. You don't need a love today. If it's in the Bible, I've never seen it. But there's many times my brain goes there too. And then I have to jerk the slack out of my mind and remind myself, I'm full of the power of God. It's not by my might, but God within me, and I'm going to be the one to do it. Amen? Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Don't you just love this translation? I love this translation. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. We're not the ones that are supposed to take revenge. The Lord does that for us. He takes care of us. Amen? If your enemy are, is hungry, feed him. That's what a Christian does. We don't point our finger and wish ill and bad on them. We help our enemies. We feed them. We give them something to drink if they're thirsty. In doing this, you're going to heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And I wanted to read all of that because me and my own words could not have said it any better. I could not have said that better. Romans 12, that's what we go by as a Christian, and that's how we should live. Amen? There's a wonderful man in the Bible, David, who is a great example of living a life by these Christian characteristics. Now, David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king after Saul, and he faithfully served him even though Saul was out to plot evil and harm on David. And David knew this, but yet he faithfully served the king. There were two different incidences where Saul got spears and literally lashed them at David to kill him, but he missed. There were times where Saul had purposely started a battle just because he knew if David goes into this battle, he's going to get killed. One battle, he made David kill 200 Philistines. This battle was not necessary. The only reason why Saul had this battle, because he wanted David killed. David wasn't killed. So then Saul told some men to go assassinate him. David was not assassinated. Then Saul had armies of men gather around his home to wait there. He told them, when David leaves the house, I want you to ambush him and kill him. 
he wasn't killed. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been in a situation like that in life where I wanted somebody to kill me at every corner that I went. I've never had anybody hate me so much, but yet David still was faithful. David didn't attack him. David didn't leave him. David continued to serve him. I want us to read 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is a demonstration of how David could have gotten revenge. David could have gotten back at Saul. But I want you to see David's heart in this. And I want you to see what happens, okay? This is how we should be as a Christian. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Saul's the king that David is serving. He went into a cave to relieve himself, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Let me inject this in here. Have you ever had Christian friends whisper things to you that you know is contrary to the word of God? These men were surrounding David. He didn't listen to them. And we need to be the same way, Christian. No matter how much it hurts on the inside, you don't listen to them. Because there'll always be somebody out there to agree with you. Right or wrong, they're going to agree with you. Christian, we must let the power of God, let the, the fruits of the Spirit shine through us and let love come through us. Let's continue. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him. Today, we could say the Holy Spirit gripped me or spoke to me. David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Wow. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and asked and shouted after him, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Remember, he's doing this to a man whose mission in life was to kill him. Okay? <clears throat> so David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why have you listened to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day, you, you can see with your own eyes it's not true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men, men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He's the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you've been hurting hunting for me to kill me. I can say that I'm sure some of us have been in similar situations where somebody has hurt us so bad to the point that it feels like they're killing us. Let's read, what did David do? Skip down to verse 16. When David, I'm sorry, what Saul did. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, these words are coming from the mouth of the man that tried to kill David over and over and over again. Every word that had come out of Saul's mouth up until this point has been death, murder. I mean, he's been demeaning David his whole kingship. 
Now listen to what words are coming out of Saul's mouth because what did David do? He did not kill Saul when he had the opportunity to kill him. He demonstrated Christian characteristics by honoring him. He bowed down before him. He didn't hold a grudge against him. He didn't keep a list of wrongs against him. He was patient and long-suffering with him. Let's listen to what Saul says. Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you're surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. What did he say? Who else would have done this? We should be that who else. We should be the person that when we know that person, that other person has been coming against me, I'm going to be that person to love them, to be patient with them, to stick it in, stick it through, stick, stick to it with them, however you say it. I'm going to be that one. And then what did Saul say? I know that the future is secure. David did it God's way. Same in our life. We do not understand all the time why we should do things the way God tells us to do it. But when we do, we have to be reassured to know my future's going to be okay. God's got it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He's going to take care of that other party that's been hurting me. I'm just going to be who God's created me to be. And I know everything is going to be all right. I'm going to share with you a little example of this. When I was um, working in the medical field before I went to Bible college, um, I worked for a doctor in a family physician's office, and it was a small office. It wasn't like Mercy or Methodist, this huge place. It was a small doctor's clinic. It had three doctors, and they all had their own group of nurses. And I didn't come on as a nurse. I actually just came on as an intern. So I was at the very bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. I had no experience except I got my bachelor's in biology, so I had head knowledge. I didn't have any experience. So I worked there for a year, and the particular doctor I happened to work for was the type of doctor that enjoyed doing after hour, so everybody else left at five, but after hours, he would do minor surgery for his patients, and his nurses would always be upset. I can't believe he's making me stay here an extra hour to do this or that. And on and on, they would just grumble and gripe and say things. And so every time it was my turn, I just said, sure, I don't mind. I'll do it. But remember, I was young, and I was in a place where I wanted to learn. And then it got to the point where only I was the one that was doing it. All the other nurses got to leave at five. It was only me there with him doing it. So I was working for him for three months, and all of a sudden, I get this huge raise. And it didn't make sense to me because I had the least experience. I knew nothing. I could do nothing except assist him. And he called me in my, his office, and he said, Nija, you know why I gave you that raise? I was like, no, sir. He said, because of your attitude. He says, I enjoy you working with me. 
Remember, I had no knowledge of how to do stitches. I couldn't even give injections, so he had to do extra work that the other nurses used to do. And then I told him, um, Dr. Boy, I'm going to be leaving in about two months to go to Bible college. And that happened to be the same weekend his son was getting married. The same weekend that his son was married was my last weekend there. And he kept going around the office and he kept telling everybody, you know, I'm going to miss my son, but I'm going to miss Nidra more than my son. And, and now, all these decades later, I look back at that, you know what he was going to miss? The God within me that was coming out. I wasn't the one complaining having to stay there two extra hours on those assigned nights to help him. I wasn't the one constantly grumbling because his stature of a man was not like a normal doctor. He was tall, he was big, so he wouldn't walk normally. He'd go like... He was very intimidating, so just to see him like that, walk into the doctor's office, and I'm not exaggerating, you know, he'd walk everywhere like that, and he talked really low, he's like, how are you today? So automatically, people were intimidated by him, his voice was low, he was loud, and people just didn't like working with him, but I did not mind. And so I share that with you because you may not have the nicest people around you in life. Be kind. Let our Christian characteristics change our atmosphere, our environment, our city. Let it change the world. Amen. We can do it because it's not within ourselves. It's the power of God within us that's letting us do this. Hallelujah.